Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer. All right, welcome back, everybody. We have a special occasion, both because we're interviewing in person today on location, a very, very special guest, good friend of mine. Can't wait to introduce him in a minute. We're at the Ternaya Resort and uh, Southern California, five-star, beautiful. It's the who's who of CIOs walking around here today, getting reconnected, sharing ideas. It's pretty special. And we have a, a guest I've known for a long time, good friend, Ralph Laura. You all know him. He is now the SVP CIO for Lumentum, global company, a lot of big things going on. And so, Ralph, thanks for carving some time out to join me. Thanks a lot, Dan. It's great to be here. And what's interesting, you have your social media posts and your photo stream. And I got a memory popped up because I'm back in Terrania. And the last time I was here was 2012. Wow. At the CIO 100 Awards. I was I've been CIO at Clorox for two years, 10 years ago. And it was really the first set of kind of recognitions I got as a CIO. So I won... You know, CIO 100 award that year. I was so the photo popped up of me in a black tie holding a plaque. So there's some interesting, you know, kind of fun memories <laughs> of being uh, back in back in Turnia. Is that the last time you had a tie on? That was not the last time, okay. but it's certainly been a while. Uh, <laughs> in fact, you know, with pandemic, I was joking to somebody the other day. I'm like, there's only been a handful of times I've had pants on in the last couple of years. So that's a big upgrade. You know, we're not going to double click on that one. <laughs> we're going to just move on. But, you know, Ralph, we've done a lot of these fireside chats over the years, uh, going back to your Clorox days and got to know you pretty well. And and uh, I'm going to be a little bold today. I'm going to bestow four new titles on you. All right. We talked about you being the SVP and CIO for Lumentum. We'll talk about that story, but I'm going to bestow four roles. One is the chief truth telling officer. Okay. okay. You've got this unique ability to get to it and cut through the noise, and I really respect that. So that's one. You're also known as the chief storytelling officer. People admire your ability to share the story, tell the story, communicate with clarity. So part one, this is gonna be a two-part episode because we've got a lot of ground to cover, so Mm -hmm. appreciate your patience. And in the second part, we're gonna talk about Ralph, the CMO, the chief motivation officer, and also Ralph, the CSO, the chief sustainability officer. So. You think it ready for a pay increase, a comp, comp plan yeah, adjustment? Yeah, I, I like that idea. I don't think my CEO would go for it. it it's interesting, you know, the, the background meme for a long time in, uh, in uh, the CIO job has been the quote-unquote changing role of the CIO. You know, I look at the CIO job a lot like a salesperson who makes quota. The reward for making quota is you get a bigger quota. Right. So uh, the reward for delivering on one you know, <laughs> scope of work is you, you get a new scope of work added to the old Ralph, again, going back, known you for a long time, you've never allowed yourself or your team to be put in that IT box, right? You're all about, if I don't like the cha- the conversation, we're going to change the conversation. So just kind of talk about that. And especially when you hear people say, again, well-intentioned, but when you hear the words, getting a seat at the table, that kind of sparks something in yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's always, it's always been a bit of a pet peeve of mine, right? People are, oh, you know, 
I just want to seat at the table. No one will let me in. I'm like, you know, if you want to seat at the table, pull up a chair, right? <laughs> you know, have a point of view. People who wait to for someone to recognize their brilliance and invite them to the conversation rarely end up at the table, right? right. So how do you contribute? How do you show up in a conversation, an ad hoc conversation in the hallway? How do you show up in a significant meeting? Uh, one of the other problems is people try to, oh, I've got to, it's my time, I have to impress somebody. Hmm. A topic comes out, I, I have to make a comment on it, even though six other people already said the same thing. Right. I'm going to say it in a more impactful way so they remember me. And that, that's not what gets you a seat at the table at it, right? It's about yeah. having an informed point of view, contributing me in a meaningful way. And if you have nothing to say, it's fine to say nothing. But it's, you know, putting yourself out there a bit and, uh, and understanding enough about what the business is doing to actually contribute. You just made me think of my favorite Churchill quote about courage. Churchill would say, courage is knowing when to stand up and speak. Courage is also knowing when to sit down and listen. Yep. And you do that great, that balance. You also put your people out there, let them take the shots, which is a great way to develop your, your people. Ralph, I have a binder full of Ralphisms. I mean, I have a lot of great Ralphisms, these expressions that great leaders use to communicate a message. And I'd love to have you, I've got a couple of my favorites I'd love to have you talk about. One is be a lens, not a mirror. And the other is your thoughts around the blender versus the helicopter. Can you talk about those? Yeah, so the lens and the mirror, I think actually came about a long time ago, although now that I'm in a photonics company, it seems somehow even more apt. <laughs> um, but uh, the idea was, so a lot of people show up and you know I'm in a meeting with the CFO and they're telling me, all the issues they have or the opportunities they have and the projects they want work done on. And I'm busy taking notes. Oh, you want to you improve you know, demand planning? We want to improve forecasting. We want to move to a three-day close and so on. And I walk away with my Seno pad and a list of tasks. And then I come back and I said, usually we come back and then we agree to mutually disappoint each other. Oof. I tell you how little I can get done and you tell me how little you can afford. And then we build our plan. Well, that's being a mirror. I'm just echoing back what I was told. I'm not adding to the to the mix. Being a lens is about taking input or focusing multiple sources of information and inspiration on a problem in a different way. Mm. So what, what a lens does is it, is it takes you know a, a broad array of light and focuses in a kind of narrow beam. An example is I was at HP and one of HP's big problems was uh, actually one of the opportunities was it had a Huge partner network, right? So it sold 70% of, of revenue was sold through channel. Mm. A great channel uh, network. But the problem was, man, it sucked to be a channel partner because we grew through acquisition and a bunch of other things. So you're going to use this technology to log in to do pricing. You're going to do this one to do configuration. You're do another technology to get service and support. It was, there were all different portals. There were, none of them were unified. I entered something over here and then I have to re-enter and research. I was just a mess. And I'm, and I'm a bit of a biker. So I like to go out on, my, on a road bike. I'm a geek, right? So I also like to measure things. So I have an Apple watch. I have a pedometer or a, you know, a, a, a meter on the bike that tells me you know, a lot about the, the bike. I've got Strava. You know, I've got various apps that I use to track my ride and you know, a bunch of other things. And so then I get back home and what do I do? I've got to take my, my Garmin and plug it in and the Strava and plug it in and the Apple watch and the yeah. upload the multiple portals, multiple data sources. None of them are unified. So I've got all this information, but then I have to manually figure out like how to put that together to create maybe an idea of what I what my ride was like. And that kind of inspired me. I said that that's the whole being 
a mirror thing. I had this other source of inspiration. I said, hey, what if we created, we can't fix the back end. I'm not going to fix all the apps because mm -hmm. that's a bit more than we were, our, we, we could take on. But what if I could create a portal, an experience that did an overlay, that created a, a cockpit where I could take those data sources, show them collectively, find ways to intermingle the data, et cetera. So we went out and got an open source stack and we were able to build what we ended up calling partner hallway. It was a hallway metaphor. You walk down the hallway and you go in different doors to get to different things, but it was a single sign-on login. The customer information was pervasive across the rooms. The data became better. And so it's this idea of be a lens, not a mirror. Don't just do what the business told you to do. Right. Bring in inspiration from other places and try to solve problems in a different way. Can you uh, tackle healthcare for us, Ralph? All those times <laughs> we have to put that, that data yeah, in, right? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I think for our audience, Ralph, a really great point you made is nobody shows up in the morning wanting to disappoint their business partners, right? And that's yeah. kind of the, the, the crux of this is let's get past that conversation. How about the idea of the helicopter and the blender? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. In fact, I, just, I was just on the phone right before this session with my VP of applications. And I made a comment that one of the other leaders, uh, senior leaders in the company, who's a peer of mine, I said, yeah, I've really seen a change in, this, in their behavior lately. They're delegating more. They're really having a bigger impact because mm. they're not operationally in the weeds, like which was one, one of their kind of habits or traits, right? And sure. I think it kind of held them back a bit. And they're, they're delegating, their, their team is coming up and they're doing really well. And, and uh, the VP of mine said, he goes, oh, he goes, uh, that's, the, the, that's my NoSQL story. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, I had this manager or DBA who wanted to be a manager. And he's like, you know, you're capable, but your behavior is holding you back. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, here's, here's your challenge. I want you to go 30 days without writing a SQL query. And he was like, what, what, what do you mean? He goes, I'm like 30 days without writing a SQL query. And at the end of 30 days, he was like, how'd that go? He goes, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard not to do what I know I can do and what I, hard not, but you know what? Made him, it, he, he ended up not only being a manager, he's now one of our horizon directors and he's doing really well. So sometimes you gotta get out of the blender. You know, you're, you're chasing these blades and you're down in the mix. Got it. You gotta get in the helicopter so you can see a broader landscape and frankly you're you're doing your team a disservice yeah because if you're down there you think oh i'm in the trenches fighting with the team i'm helping you're not helping because that's not your job right your job is to get up see the landscape so that while they're down there doing their job mm -hmm. you can navigate the ship and help put us in the right place so good speaking of the blender a ralph laura fun fact i'm going to go back to your college days okay and you know i think about it leadership at all levels today the difficult conversations we need to be having, right? The truth telling uh, and so forth. Talk to us about your college summers and how did that maybe help shape you? Yeah, yeah. So one of, I had several summer jobs in college. One of them was I was a bouncer and bartender and in and, and a, and a little bar on, on weekends back home. And it was interesting, you learn, you learn a lot of skills, right? You learn a bit of diplomacy. Mm -hmm. uh, you learn how to de-escalate de things. Learn how to see problems before they happen. You know, kind of read the crowd mm -hmm. a little, read people. Kind of diffuse it before yeah, it gets yeah. going. You also learn sometimes customer service is I'll buy the next round, even if you're you're the one they're wrong. Right. It's you know what I'll take care of this. This is on me. Boy, that takes a lot of if somebody's in in your face like giving you a hard time. It's hard for somebody to complain when you take the wind out of their sail. Mm. So there's a lot of techniques you learn in any customer, you know, waiter, waiter, any customer service role yeah. um, that I think apply not just to IT as a service function, but frankly to, to leadership in general. So Ralph, we talked about 
Ralph, the chief truth-telling officer. Let's pivot to Ralph, the chief storytelling officer, one of your gifts. And as a profession, it's pretty well known. We're pretty pitiful at this, right? Not our strength. We don't sell the vision, the are the possible. What's, you know, how do you think about that? This is one of your, one of your real strengths. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I never, I don't, you know, approach something in this, this idea of like, hey, I'm going to build some structured narrative and tell a story. But, it, you know, I, the most engaging things to me are conversations I have that, that are interesting, that are meaningful, that have a flow to them, that are, you know, that are kind of animated in some way. And so I'd way rather have a, a meaningful conversation about the business and outcomes and opportunity than to sit and, you know, review some PowerPoint slides. So I, 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 I tend to just normally gravitate to that model. To me, what's interesting about most people in IT is when you get them alone, you have a couple of, you know, uh, a couple of beers and you sit and start talking, everybody's got a million stories about what they're passionate about, what they've done and how they've done it and what worked and what didn't. Mm -hmm. um, but somehow that doesn't translate to an executive presentation or pitching an idea and trying to get people aligned behind it. A couple of great mentors of mine over time, there's a, uh, I worked for a guy named John Bruno, who was chief marketing officer at a company called Symbol. He was a CIO himself multiple times over. And we, we had done, the, it was at Symbol, we were doing a massive transformation. We worked three months, like nonstop, 80-hour weeks, just building the plan, getting board approval and buying in and to go begin this big transformation with Supply chain overhaul, a people systems overhaul, sales, I mean, just massive, like a full company transformation. And so then we pitched it. We did a big PowerPoint deck, big all hands, kicked off the whole team. And then uh, I'm like, oh, wow, that, like, that was great. And then like a week later, my one-on-one, -on -one, I'm like, you know, John, I, you know, what's wrong with these people? Like, they don't get it. Like, I, I don't know why, I, like, it's so many people are just like dragging their feet and they're like on the fence. And he's like, you know, it, it took us, it took you three months to get there. They've seen this one time. Good point. It took it took them you know, th three months delivered in thirty minutes. Now you got to give them some time. Like they've got you got to bring them along. They've got to feel part of that. And some of it is part of what storytelling does. It is it takes you out of the transaction. And it, it makes you feel like you were there. Mm. So if you can more effectively tell that story about why are we doing? Why are we moving from build the stock to assemble the order in the factory? What's that going to do for the company? How does that right. connect to our ability to grow. How does that connect to what's happening in the marketplace and our ability to compete with yeah. other Like those stories are really important. And mm -hmm. so one of the things we did is we branded. So it, again, this was at Symbol Technologies. And we had a campaign, a marketing campaign with an IT called Imagine a Symbol Where. And there was one for supply, Imagine a Symbol Where, where every customer gets what they want, when they wanted it, configured in the way they wanted it, right? And, and it was an HR process. Imagine a symbol where every employee has a laptop, is productive the first day, is, you know, done it. Like, and then what's the key outcome? Mm -hmm. This long journey is going to get us to. And like that connected, people got it. People got motivated around the work and were aligned to that activity. Powerful. Yeah. I think it's even more important today, Ralph. I mean, the, the stats, the noise factor today. I mean, you fast forward today, average adult attention span now 7.25 seconds, shrinking. Yeah. We're, we're behind the goldfish, by the way, which is nine seconds. How do you change the narrative? Yeah. How do you get the message through all that noise? Well, so this is, again, another mentor of mine, a guy named Frank Tatasio, had this, uh, particularly when something's complicated and there's a lot going on, he had this, this mantra, and we, we'll probably talk about it later, and as well as this mantra of seven dippings. 
Mm. And this idea was, you know, you didn't sit down in your first week of calculus in college and learn calculus, right? Mm. You, you were exposed to it, and you were exposed to a little more of it, and then you got exposed again, and over time you practiced a few lessons. And over time, the idea of, okay, this is how to think about you know, sine, cosine, like became more natural. The first time you heard that, you look, you're looking at the whiteboard like, you gotta be kidding, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. The same with very complex business processes or a big organizational transformation. Uh, it takes, and Frank, his term was seven dippings. I, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about you know, 10,000 hours to master it. Like there's this issue of, it takes multiple exposures mm. to really finally get someone through some of that initial cognitive confusion to the point where you start to understand and kind of connect with something. Yeah. And I think that that's very fair and valid the way kind of people work. So I think that'll help people who are used to doing kind of that one and done broad brush marketing communication, probably understand now why it's not landing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, the, and which is, if you see a lot of the social media, it's repetitive. It's the 30 second, the 90 second video clip. Yeah. It's taking a piece of music because mm -hmm. there's a lot of data that says, on the mind, you know, when you learn something with music playing and then you hear that same music playing and the thing you learned is all of a sudden forefront in the mind. So there's, you know, some of this repetitive in, the, in music and text and other like reinforces that message in a way that allows it to come through and allow people to get it. I'm a big fan of branding. I, we, we talked before, I'm a big fan of words matter, mm. picking the right words yeah. and then explaining those words and then using those words because words mean different things to different people. And, and sometimes we imbue certain characteristics into words uh, that we're blind to. You say, oh, this is a professional track or a technical track and a job classification. Well, people think those things mean different things. And, right. oh, I want to be on the technical track because I'm a technical person and I'm, I value that. And that's, well, actually, but professional track is also technical. But you've got to explain that, but you've lost your audience because you used a word that brought them into a very specific place. Mm. It's really hard to get them out of you. So sometimes you pick different words just to avoid that trap. Language matters. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're intentional about that and it matters. And one of your techniques, Ralph, that I think is really hard to master, but the idea of the pregnant pause, what does that do for you as a communicator? So again, this is the same VP I was talking about earlier. We were in a meeting where we'd spent 18 months building alignment and planning and momentum and justification around a fairly significant effort for momentum. We're, we're in the process of investing and replacing all of our factory floor systems globally. Modernization, moving to what you know, people would call factory 4.0 and some, but really bringing us to a place where we're in a, in a good position to, to achieve a number of our key goals around growth, around quality, around accessing new markets that require different quality capability on the factory floor. So 18 months of work to get there, right? And mm -hmm. then we're in a meeting where we're in the final capital committee review. We're pitching, you know, we're looking for funding to get this done over the next several years. And questions are coming up, right? And now we built this in conjunction with the operations team and the business unit leaders. We're all in the room and questions keep coming up. And this VP of mine keeps answering the question. And, and I'm frantically messaging him in the background <laughs> going, you know, like, just don't say anything. Be quiet. Like, be silent. Mm -hmm. let, let there be an awkward pause. If you wait 30 seconds, Oof. it's going to be feel like an eternity. Yes. So everybody's going to be looking at you because you've been answering all the questions. But like, don't answer the next question. Wait 30 seconds. And you know what? About 20 seconds in, the head of operations chimed in with his point of view. Nice. The head of one of the BUs chimes in with their point of view. If you 
allow it to pause, right? Allow a little bit of, of that pregnant pause. Sometimes it's permission for other people to, to join in. And honestly, a lot of other people are very uncomfortable right. with a pause in a conversation. Yes. So they, they almost subconsciously are compelled to say something which ended up with a great conversation. Then the CEO and the uh, COO are looking, instead of like IT's trying to pitch me a project, it's like, oh, you mean all these guys are bought in and they're equally passionate about the outcome and they're equally committed. Kind of like, why didn't you say that in the first place? Well, I was trying to, but I couldn't get Peter to stop talking. <laughs> That's beautiful. You have certain words that you don't use or you change around. Can you, can yeah. you speak to a couple of those? Yeah, there's, there's a few things. Uh, so the, one of the, my pet peeves, uh, uh, the biggest one of all, is this idea of governance. Well, you look at the what's a govern? A governor is something that throttles or slows down or limits. Like to govern something is to kind of limit it. So IT governance just sounds like an awful thing in the first place. Why do I want to do that? Right. Why do I want to slow things down? So I use the term IT enablement, and, and it, it, very clean. What's our job as a PML, as a as a funding organization, as a like? Our job is to enable. Projects like get the right resources at the right time to create the right outcome. So our job is to be the enablers, to enable things to happen. Another uh, is I hate the term backlog. Mm. Like there's an IT uh, backlog. It, it's a sense of somehow I've failed. Sure. Like oh I haven't got all my work done. I have a backlog. You know it's like it's that sense of waking up you know or coming home after a vacation and looking at an inbox with a thousand messages going oh you know what, what have I done wrong? I, I've got to pay for this. So you turn that around. My view is we don't have a backlog. What we have is, I, I use the analogy again to kind of make it simple for people of a household budget. If you make $100,000 a year and you've got three kids and a house and, a, you know, okay, we've got, we want to buy a new car. We want to go on vacation. We want to put a pool in. We want to save for college. And we've got, you know, the house needs a new roof every 20 years. I don't have a backlog of household expenses. I have a budget and we're going to make choices in the mm -hmm. moment as to what's most important for how we want to live. And I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to live with the choices we made, right? So I may buy the car this year and we'll do the vacation next year and the pool's going to have to wait until the kids are out of college or whatever in order to make those choices. The same is true with the business. So I think you should never feel bad yeah. that the business can't afford, you know, the, the tech roadmap that IT is being asked to deliver. Now, IT has a role there, right? We, we need to be efficient in what we do. We need to prove that we've come up with creative ideas so that we're doing this in a cost-efficient and cost-effective way. But if you're doing all that, now it's, it's just about, hey, this is our revenue. This is our balance sheet. This is the choices we want to make. Let's make the proper investments to get there. And we're all kind of living within that same household budget. Love it. Take us into the, uh, the preparations that you go through, the big presentation, you know, the capital committee, the yeah, board, the, yeah. your C-suite. Any tips, pointers on preparing for that big presentation? Two or three, and the biggest, of, of course, is, so again, you, you spend all this time and energy, you've done all this work. So what do, you, what do you want to do? I want to show everybody in gory detail how smart I am and all, how thorough I've been. So I'm going to start with, here's the problem, and I'm going to build slowly all these examples of what's wrong, and then I'm going to you know, show you costs, and then I'm going to start showing you what we could do, and I'm going to... At the very end, I'm finally going to tell you, and this is when it's all added up, here's what I want to do, here's what it costs, and here's what you'll get for it. So you, fine, do that, build the 50-page deck, and then you take the last slide and you put it in the beginning, right? Because as you pointed out earlier, people have like a seven and a half second attention span. So everybody knows eventually you're going to ask them for something, and they're all flipping or wondering or waiting. Yep. So just start with it. Hey, I want to get this out of the way. Here's my ass. Everybody takes the gas. Oh my God, that's a lot of money. You gotta be kidding. 
Okay, now let me walk you through why and how we get there. Now, ideally, you take the 50 slides down to maybe five anyway, and you put a lot in the appendix. So you, so you keep shuffling that. So that's one is put the last slide first. The second is, again, you, you want to provide the detail. You want to be able to jump to it to show that you've got you've been thoughtful and so on. But most executives, if you're a director, of, you're pitching. The assumption is you're competent in your job and you, you've done the work. Like, I, I don't need proof of work. Right. I don't have to show me all your homework. So you only have to show me the five or ten kind of money slides that build it through the way. If I want more information, I can, hey, that's in the appendix or it was in the pre-read. I'm happy to take you there. But you want to distill it down to kind of the SparkNotes version of the work. Now, again, nobody's discounting all the work you did. Right. But they just want to know, give me the summary, the synopsis, so that we can make a decision and move on. And then the third is, I mean, you got to know the room, right? So mm. we were actually we were talking uh, in, a, in a, uh, a meeting this week. Some several of us have worked on a couple of different organizations that have done or tried to do different built community building and, 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 and a number of other things. And each of them have very different leaders, which have very different leadership styles. Mm. So when you come in to pitch, you know, the one, hey, this is our roadmap and our plan and what we want to do to a, a visionary, inspirational, expansive leader, you want to paint this huge picture, you want to be excited, you want to kind of shoot for the stars. And then you want to take some of the detail and you want to bury that because they're going to get bored and they don't want to see that. Right. right? And they're, they're like, hey, you know, let me know how that goes. But if you're working with a leader who's very tactical, very in the, not in the weeds in a bad way, but very focused and organized and oriented toward what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? When are we going to get there? What help do you need? How, like, you can't start with the, you can't go swinging for the, because you've lost them. They're like, you're going to be kidding me. We haven't even got out of the gates yet. I, we haven't done step one, two, three. How can we be talking about step 12? You haven't even shown me the first two pages yet, right? Yeah. So, so you've got to know your audience. You've got to know who you're talking to. And then you tell the message to the audience. You know, there's so many people I think right now that are saying, well, I, that makes sense. I know this, but I, there's that no do gap. You know, it's like, we yeah. know it. Are you doing it? You know, do yeah. you do the homework? Do you, do you go talk to people to figure out that audience, what yeah. they care about? Well, you know, a lot of people disparage the idea of like, oh, well, we have too many meetings. So you have the meeting, you have the meeting before the meeting, and you have the meeting before the meeting before the meeting to get ready for the meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, and as dysfunctional as our friends in Washington are, you know, nobody calls a vote on the on the Senate floor until they know what the vote's going to be before they call the vote. Right. So there is a role, particularly in you know, in in, in senior leadership, of a little, a little bit of politics, and it's about understanding where the wind is blowing and who's where. And how, and a lot of this is not, you know, it's not manipulating anything or being, being politics in a bad way. I mean, politics is just relationships. Right. So, uh, what relationship do you have? Are you credible? What concerns does somebody have? How do you address those concerns? So by the time they're in the room, you're not airing that issue in the room that triggers something somebody else didn't think of. You know, yep. it's like, hey, Vince, I know you're going to be worried about if I do this acquisition, can I still do the roadmap we committed to before? Or is that oh, going to distract me? I know that's, so I'm going to meet with Vince ahead of time. We're going to talk about the roadmap. We're going to talk about people, how I have configured, why I don't think that's a big risk and why I think we can get it done. So when we get in the room, that doesn't become an issue. Nobody gets, somebody else doesn't go, oh, wait, what about my project? You mean my, my project? Wait, wait. You, you, you got to take care of all that. So the meeting before the meeting, I'm a big fan. It has to happen, right. particularly for big decisions. And when you're dealing with executives who have a lot on their plate, because again, they'll, it's fairly easy to, I won't say distract, but it's easy to raise an issue that they feel like, oh, I should go run this down with my organization. So 
why don't we come back in two weeks after mm-hmm. I've had a conversation? Then we can talk about it. No, no, you want to have the conversation. You want to have the offline conversation first yeah. so that you don't get diverted out of the room to have the next conversation. Powerful. I want to wrap up our first session with a mystery question. So we reached out into your your sphere of relationships, and we found one of your mentors okay. who's had a pretty big impact on your your career, your your thinking. So let's listen in to the question and then tell us who this is, and let's have some fun with the question. First is on your internal leadership. Every company you've been at, you had high-performance teams. What was the secret to developing that team around a common mission? My second question for you is every vendor I know treated you as a strategic partner. In the early days of my company, you were the first guy we put on our advisory board and you helped us figure out a global way of approaching our largest accounts, which had a monster effect on us. But all the people I know at other vendors you dealt with felt exactly the same way. Why did you create those relationships and how did you do it? And that was Tom Mendoza, who is one of, yeah, huge impact on, personally on my the way, I think I'll never be the half the leader that Tom was and, and, and cultural creator and, and, and so on. But uh, so Tom, Tom Mendoza, for those that don't know, was I first interacted with Tom when he was a head of sales at NetApp when they were a startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ultimately later became uh, president and CEO and, and, and chairman and has since retired. But talk about a good, not only a good leader, but somebody focused very much on culture, very much on building the right people systems, and then kind of like the rest of it will take care of itself, mm. right? And so to his question about high-performance teams, so I'm a, a big believer, so the Tuckman model and the storming, forming, norming, and performing and high-performance teams, but the core of almost all of that is is trust, candor, and transparency. It's, it's putting it out there. The, the chief truth teller, the chief transparency officer, you know, it's kind of important. People need to know. Another uh, saying, uh, uh, not Tom's originally, but Tom said a lot that I've used is um, people don't know that you care or people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right. And that's that's true. So you, you need to make that connection. You need to like be there for people. You need to tell people that kind of candid information at times. Uh, and there's a million stories Tom has told. There's a, a great one about a, a leader at NetApp, who um, they were worried, working on a bunch of things, and there was a leader at NetApp who came forward and said, "You know, I have, I, I have more organization than I need. Like, I can do this with less people. Like, I want to give some people back." And uh, and Tom was like, kind of like, you know, who does that? Mm. Who says, you know, take budget away from me, take people away from me? I'm fine. But this this leader was like, "Hey, my goal is to make the company successful, not about empire building." Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's, it's a big risk because oh, well, maybe you're, you're, I'll demote you as a VP. You don't need yeah. And, and instead, what it was is, you know, here's somebody who's going to tell me the truth. Yeah. They're not going to sandbag. They're not going to kind of mislead. And that, so that person became elevated as a, as a leader within the company. And then for, for me, on the, my kids are probably tired of hearing me say this. My leaders are, are t- probably tired of hearing me say this. But you do the, you know, the annual merit review or folk review or your feedback. And my, my comment often is, you know, my job is not to make you happy. It's to make you better. Mm. So we'll have the, you know, awkward challenging conversation like that didn't work you know it still didn't work why do you think it's not working and you know, i'm here to help what can we do about that but you know kind of like these awkward conversations are kind of important to build high performing teams that are there for each other yeah tom thanks for that question and one of the things that ralph was telling me offline was how catching people doing great things right and you said yeah. on his way to work in the morning as the chairman he would call people 
Yep. Right. And thank them for doing these great things. Yeah. Well, it was cool. Yes. It, the process was anyone in the company saw someone doing something, you know, good. They drop a note to to Tom's admin and she'd feed it to him. And on his way in in the, in the morning, he would call and leave voicemails for them. Hey, thanks. Sometimes he'd catch up in person, but often it was this voicemail. And honestly, people, as a third, people five, 10 years later, right. leaving the company and they're like, hey, I'm. Um, is there any way for me to get a tape of that voicemail that Tom left me you know, wow. eight years ago? Wow. Because it's super motivating. And what's cool is it wasn't big things. It was little things. It was like, hey, somebody did, went out of their way to do this, or they, you know, hey, they, uh, we were in the middle of doing uh, we had an outage, and somebody you know, thought was going sideways. Somebody covered this for me, or somebody ran out and got pizza for the team. I mean, that little kind of stuff. Yeah. Not, you know, somebody did it, you know, worked 90 hours. It was like little things. And because again, it's those little things that kind of matter. Builds the culture. And there's a, again a story I like to tell, or a, an example I like to give. One of the things. So I, I was at HP, where we have a very large team, very large company, mm-hmm. and it's easy in a company like that to look around and see problems. Oh, what a mess! You know, we all we all sit here. And go, oh, the roads are a mess, and our government screwed up, and this guy's you know can't do this right. It's easy to criticize. Sure, but. The narrative I would tell my team is that I want you to act like you're in a small town, not like a big city. Because in a big city, you see a pothole or you see a you know a crack in the sidewalk. What do you well, you complain about? Uh, you know the mayor's an idiot and the team can't do anything and all these guys are bad and my taxes are wasted. And you don't do anything about it. You just keep walking and so on. If you're in a small town, what do you do? You you know, you may if it's not in front of your house, you might come out and put a cone there so nobody gets hurt. You call your friend at the DMV and say, hey, there's a problem. You should tell somebody about this. Maybe you even go out and, you know, fix the crack in the sidewalk because it's in front of your house and you want it to be okay. So this idea of, and in fact, Meg at, at HP coined the phrase, run to the fire. It mm. was, hey, if you, if you see a customer on fire, you see a problem, run to the problem. The fire. Don't turn your back on it. Don't assume it's somebody else's problem. But either fix it or find someone that can fix it, but take ownership. Yeah, so yeah. good, so good. Again, thanks, Tom. And Ralph, we're gonna pause. I'm gonna bring you back for episode two or part two of this episode. We're gonna talk about Ralph as the chief motivation officer, chief as the chief sustainability officer. So are you awesome. game? Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks very much. We'll see y'all real soon. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.